the computer says, the program says your mark is this. So, you know, the, the teachers just put their hands up and said, that's it. That's what it is. Um, and, and I would say things like, well, how do you know that that test should be worth 30% of their mark? Or how do you know that that assignment is? What is it actually covering? Um, and then those questions of like, what's the difference between 84 and 82%? And, and you just start having a harder and harder time answering those. So I love the phrase that the um, computer programs give those percentages to two or three decimal places. And that's really just an illusion of validity. Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. And today I want to bring you another edition of the Teachers on Fire Roundtable, live stream conversations meant to warm your heart, spark your thinking and ignite your professional practice. You can view and interact with the show live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central and 11 a.m. Eastern on the Teachers on Fire channel on YouTube. Today's roundtable is titled Assessment Practices, Building Sustainability, Equity and Literacy with ACBC. Enjoy. Very honored to be joined today by five amazing educators from my home province of British Columbia. And our topic is assessment. So I can't wait to get into this one. My question for you is this, what is your current context in education? Tell us about where you are coming from, starting with Shannon. Good morning, Tim. So I'm so pleased to be here. I am teaching on the unceded ancestral lands of the Clay-Laytene, otherwise known as Prince George, School District 57. I've been a teacher for 23 years. I specialize in drama and English and humanities eight. I am also I also have a new role this semester, which is a teaching to diversity through assessment role, which is where I'm working with teachers. Um, helping them become more inclusive educators, helping them with differentiated instruction and building proficiency sequences. I'm also a blogger and a speaker, and I am the administrator of two uh, Facebook platforms, The Humanity Zone and Beyond Report Cards. You are a very busy person, Shannon, just like many of the people here around this circle. So thank you for joining us and for really kicking off this conversation today. Nina, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I am respectfully acknowledging that I work and learn on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Kwantlen First Nation, Katsi First Nation, and the Stalo First Nation. And the context that I work in is teacher education, and I teach third and fourth year student teachers about curriculum design and assessment and evaluation for learning. All right, thank you for being here, Nina. Over to Phil. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Phil Stringer um, and I, uh, I'm i in Vancouver. So I'm on the uh, ancestral and traditional lands of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Um, I've been teaching for about 25 years. I've taught in private and public schools. Um, I completed my master's of educational technology in uh, 2007 uh, and have worked as an educational technology coordinator in two different independent schools, which landed me at my current school, um, where I set up the laptop, the one-to-one -one program. Um, and now I'm the department head of mathematics there. Um, and uh, I'm also a research chair uh, at that same school with a topic area of how do we learn and looking at uh, cognitive science. That's not a big question at all. How do we learn? Josh, <laughs> over to you. Yeah, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh Ogilvy. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm uh, coming to you from the unceded territory of the Kwikwetlam First Nation, which lies in the shared territories of the Swilatooth, the Katsi, Musqueam, 
Kekwet, Squamish, and Stolo Nations. Uh, my role in education, I'm, I'm a full-time teacher. I'm a department head of physical and health education. I'm also uh, one of the leads on our new curriculum that was impl implemented a few years back. Uh, I'm also acting as the president of our Provincial Specialist Association and representing PHE at the national level um, across, uh, across Canada. Um, more important than that, and my roles in education will always come first and foremost from the home, where I have two young ones, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, who are teaching me more than I could ever imagine every single day. That is awesome. I think many of us could say the same, absolutely. And Katie, welcome here. Over to you. Hi, thanks, everyone. It's really nice to be here. I'm honored to be here and be a guest on the ancestral and unceded lands of the Klitli Tanay. I am a vice principal at uh, Prince George Secondary School. I'm actually the vice principal at Shannon School. It's awesome to work with her. Um, I am passionate about inclusive education and really uh, creating structures that support inclusion and teaching to diversity. I'm also a yoga teacher. And so I'm currently drawing on my knowledge of of being calm in my breath work while I'm here live you. So thank you so much for having me. Question number two, let's get right into this. We're talking today about something called ACBC. And I wanna get this right. It's the Assessment Consortium of British Columbia, correct? So we wanna talk about, first of all, right at the beginning, how did this thing start? And Josh, I'll turn it over to you to speak to that. Yeah, thanks. Um, if, if anybody recalls kind of the processes we're all going through when the lockdown first happened in March and April, um, the world turned upside down. And, you know, it, it was it had a lot of time where I wasn't at school because we were trying to figure out what we're going to do with our um, continuing learning via um, virtual means. And then I started thinking about what is what is happening in our province here in British Columbia. And we've had a tremendous amount of change over the last eight years with the development and then the rollout of our new curriculum. And I mentioned earlier that I was involved with that process and it has been fantastic. And there's just so many great practices and, and champions in our province on, on things to help improve learning. But then I realized, is there a whole lot that connects our province via assessment? Um, and I, I, I mean, yes, there's a lot of great people, but there's nothing really where people can kind of gravitate towards to kind of help move their practices forward with that. And so I did what I called the people my Jerry Maguire moment. If you remember the movie at the beginning where he just lays his heart out and just says, here's what's going on. And, and I contacted a few people that I know or that I've connected with on social media and other means that are just incredibly literate in assessment. And I gave them my Jerry Maguire moment. Like, here's a thought that I have that can really help our field here in British Columbia move forward with assessment practice because assessment something is coming left, right, and center. It's coming from all angles. Um, and everybody has questions about it, but where can they go? And so I just figured we've got so many great minds here in BC. Let's start small and build something that can really help the practitioners at K, not just K through 12, but K through um, 16 in post-secondary school kind of develop some sort of common understanding and practice of what assessment could look like. And so that's when I reached out and I can't remember the exact time frame, but I think it was within half a day that they just, they heard my plea and they're like, yep, I'm in. And it's just like that. What you're saying is you got some interest on the topic of assessment from Shannon Schinkel and Nina Peck. That, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I'm yeah. so surprised. No, uh, of course, you've got some very willing people here in this province and there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of interest around assessment. So my sense is you you really formalized it. You sought to bring it together and 
and give it that uh, common resource. Let's dig into that a little bit more. <laughs> Nina, why a consortium? What, what do you see as your mission? Why, why come together in this way? Okay, so I'll answer the first one, why a consortium? And I took some notes because... Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> We're very organized as teachers. Yeah, I, it's not a committee because it's not just to be like a think tank, right? right. We are a group of people who are in agreement um, and we're committed to take action. So like taking action is a really key piece. I'm committed to put new ideas into practice. All of us are putting it into practice in whatever space we occupy, like that we are in right now and we're reflecting and improving. And this idea of working together and not alone. Um, and I really like this line how we are rebels for hope uh, and we press for innovation and we are all kind of like united in our efforts. So this consortium is the space where um, teachers across the province can, I don't know, go to and turn to where they know that these people here are united in their efforts to move assessment literacy forward. And we are also committed to significant and meaningful improvement. And I mean, to just surround ourselves with really thoughtful practitioner leaders um, and that people can find to others like-minded like-minded practitioners in this space. Uh, and then there's people here in the consortium who listen. We wanna challenge long held traditions when necessary and collaborate to make things better. And so it's this idea that we are effective, better, stronger together. Um, and that success in this challenging work, it's really hard and it requires support. Um, other things that I wrote down is that this group, we're aware of the need for change always open to learning and um, we're ready to publicly advocate for recommended reforms, not just K to 12, it's K to post-secondary and we're eager to share our beliefs and take action together. So that's why it's wow. a consortium. All right, mic drop moment right there. <laughs> Shannon, you've already done so much with Beyond Report Cards on Facebook. I know we'll talk more about that later, but why the consortium and what do you see as your mission here? I think there's a, a real appetite to talk about assessment. Like when I started Beyond Report Cards, I had no idea that it was going to become, you know, a pretty big thing on Facebook. But it's also very, it's limiting because it's a Facebook group. You know, I started that and over the course of like a week, we had several hundred teachers and that kind of thing. But I, I realized very quickly that there is an appetite to talk about assessment, that there are so many educators who feel like they're either an island um, where they're, you know, they're trying to go at it alone. I know, you know, even on my own journey, you know, you kind of rely on social media um, and kind of find your people, right, to be able to um to, to hold hands with and, and guide each other, guide each other home, really. Um, so it, I just think it's such a wonderful opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Um, let's 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 you put our heads together. Let's have this as a place where we can discuss all things assessment. Where you know we're like Nina said, we're we're radicals. Like we're all radicals to some extent because we're trying to make waves with regards to assessment. We're trying to um, steer towards change, whether it is gradeless assessment, whether it's you know more feedback for learning and differentiated instruction and inclusive education. And it's like this is going to be the place where we can come together and and be united on our mission. That's awesome. 
I want to welcome others to the broadcast. Marissa is joining us. Thank you, Marissa, for your comment. She says, uh, quoting you, we're ready and you are welcome to find out more from us. Love that you're creating that message and space for this important, purposeful, and totally possible change. And Christine is with us as well from the Sunshine Coast, and she's writing assessment action advocacy is brilliant. Well, I like the going back to Nina's Rebels of Hope that maybe that's a new trending hashtag I'll have to poke around for. I don't know. I haven't seen that in edgy Twitter yet, but uh, maybe it's out there. What are your own assessment stories? That's where we want to go next. And these can be powerful. Obviously, they're shaping and that's what we want to look at. How have they shaped your thinking? So, Katie, let me turn it over to you. Tell us about your assessment story or your journey with assessment. Really, where I I first started is um, for a few years, I was a district resource teacher in School District 57. And I worked quite closely with and was mentored by Shelley Moore. And I did a lot of work with her on um, how do we teach to the range? How do we support um, wise practice in the classroom and inclusive practice and universal design? And that's actually where I met Shannon and we did some work together. And right from that position, I went in to become an administrator. And it basically, it took all of the things that I knew about wise practice and it Um, my shift became from from doing it in the classroom into um, removing barriers for great teachers and great educators that are doing this work already, being able to identify the great work that's being done and and going, right? And so Shannon and I work closely together and um, I'm learning really from this team what they need to continue to do their work. Because really I'm behind the scenes, I'm not in the classroom, I am supporting uh, structurally supporting this this uh, great work. Thank you, Katie. Josh, tell us about your journey with assessment. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> my, my journey begins as a student um, when I always questioned what I was being assessed on. I never knew the term assessment. I, I would call it tested. Um, sure. And I, I was quite a, going along with this Rebels of Hope, I was quite a rebel in school. Um, when we had out here, we have foundational skills assessment or standardized testing, so to speak. Right is I always rebelled against them. I never wrote one in my schooling career. And I just basically said, you that test can't tell you what I know, right? And your test, the things you're testing me on, you're not finding out what I know. It's always based on what you want to find out, but it's not what I know. So fast forward many years into my career, I was excited when I started teaching. I was so passionate and just so much fire under me. And there was twice in the first 10 years of my career, um, I'm entering year 18 right now, um, where I almost left teaching. And because it became stagnant, became boring, and I realized that I had become the teacher that the experiences I was when I was a student. And there was a kind of a, a spark moment at a parent-teacher interview where I, I got completely exposed when, when a parent asked me how I arrived at a certain grade. And I had my beautifully drawn up formula based on just decisions I made, like you know attendance on time and all these non-learning factors. And the parent called me out for that and just said, none of that relates to what they're supposed to be learning in front of their child the student I was working with. So I realized there has to be a better way. And if not, then I'm leaving. And luckily for me, I found a better way. And I can almost to the day, I can pinpoint like two halves of my career when I was not assessment literate and when I dove into assessment. And since that time, when I've been diving into assessment, the career that I've had, I've been fortunate to have, 
it's completely changed. It becomes so dynamic. And I, it's not, a, I don't want to be cliche or anything, but like, I truly do love going to school every Monday morning because we're, we're in face to face here in BC. And the experiences that I've had to learn about the students that I get to work with and what they've taught me and what I've learned from them and vice versa, it, it, I can't even recognize who I used to be as a teacher. And I look at assessment as being the, the platform, the bridge to finding out about students. What can we do to support them? How can they support the class? How can they support each other? Um, it's not about designing good quizzes and tests. Those are just simple tools we might use. But I believe that assessment is a true window into the community, the culture in your classroom setting. And as teachers, we have a very strong part to play in that. Um, so the more that I've dove in and, and become a practitioner in assessment, like teaching has taken on a whole new context and a whole new meaning for me. And it's just something that has completely changed who I am as a person and as a teacher. So that's 18 years and I hope just a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, Josh. Yeah, the deeper we go into assessment, the more we realize it, it really is the core of everything we do. All of our practice originates from our philosophy of assessment. I'm so curious about you skipping the FSAs. Did you have your parents' support on that, or what did that look like in the classroom? Uh, love my parents. <laughs> my parents are awesome. I had a very high-performing older brother, one year older, so I had the typical middle child syndrome. You tend to be forgotten. Um, they never saw my report card since grade nine. And I always wow, created wow. lame excuses, this, this, that. And you know what? Should they have? I was passing. I mean, mainly because you didn't fail. But um, I ended up graduating with an average of 72 or something. I got in a post-secondary. And it's because I was unchallenged. And I knew those FSAs, those, those standardized tests weren't going to yeah. do anything. And I just, I mean, the school never called me out. They were just like, okay. And I don't, to this day, I don't know how I got through, but I did. I've never written one. Well, those little fourth and seventh graders, uh, that, that would take a lot of courage, I think, to say, no, yeah. I'm not writing this, unless they had some uh, support in the classroom or something like that. But yeah. impressive. Well, thank you for sharing your journey, Josh. Phil, over to you. What does that look like for you? So as I said, I was an educational technology coordinator um, about 10 or 15 years ago. And one of my jobs was to help uh, the teachers um, use a new online gradebook. And up until that point, I, I had just done my own thing. I, I was a math teacher mostly. Um, I you know did the typical 85% of your mark is going to get generated from tests and 15 from quizzes and homework and everything else. Um, and it was the first time I really had some assessment questions because I was now having to help other people. I had never looked into anyone else's gradebook, and I was now having to help other people kind of program their gradebooks. Um, at about the same time, I attended a workshop uh, in Kelowna called CanFlip on uh, implementing the flipped classroom in, in classes. Um, and that's actually the first time I ever heard about standards-based grading. And I, it, I just shelved it. It was one of the things that I was like, okay, that's kind of neat. I uh, went to a couple sessions on it over, over maybe two years uh, of going to CanFlip. Um, and, and then I guess worlds collided at some point when um, I, I thought, the, the way that we are building our gradebooks, the way that I'm helping these other teachers with um, uh, just generating percentages, and, and I kept hearing, well, the, the computer says, the program says your mark is this. So, you know, the, the teachers just put their hands up and said, that's it. That's what it is. Um, and, and I would say things like, well, how do you know that that test should be worth 30% of their mark? Or how do you know that that assignment is? What is it actually covering? Um, and then those questions of like, what's the difference between 84 and 82%? And, and you just start 
having a harder and harder time answering those. So I love the phrase that the um, computer programs give those percentages to two or three decimal places. And that's really just an illusion of validity. There, there's no there's no real um, score that you can you know get to the hundredth decimal place. And, and maybe as a math teacher, I, I understand that. Uh, so I, I started implementing Flipped Classroom. And like any of uh, my fellow rebels here, I decided to start that with my grade 12s. Um, I started it with my AP Calculus AB class. Um, and that was the only class I was doing it with uh, for that year. I think that was 2014 or 2015 school year. Um, and then I, I just expanded it. And uh, luckily, I've got such amazing people in my department. Um, they, they started wanting to, to know what this thing was, this, this kind of new um, way of looking at the learning outcomes rather than at the percentages and, and um, and so uh, standard space grading kind of took off in my department and started taking off across the school where other departments were really interested in it until a couple of years ago where the whole school decided that this is the direction that we need to go for our senior school. Um, started working with uh, all the uh, heads of department and the admin to implement a, a fully structured standard space grading program uh, and rolled that out um, last year for all our grade eights and now have expanded it to our grade nines and, and looking to expand it into the future. So um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a 180. If I look back on my my former self 15 years, 25 years ago, uh, doing completely different things with assessment. That is so cool. You mentioned uh, rolling it into ninth grade. It only gets more difficult from there, right? Because you always end up back at that conversation about university admission. But you also mentioned earlier that idea of looking into other people's grade books, which I find so interesting. We don't get that enough. Grade books are sort of a tightly held sacred space, I think, <laughs> for a lot of educators. It's like, nope, don't go there. I'm not sharing mine, but boy, when people actually do share as, as a I know Tyler Rablin was sharing some of his this week on Twitter, it is so helpful just to see how other people are structuring their assessment. Nina, over to you with this all important question of what is your mm -hmm. assessment journey? What can you share from your story? Okay, I hope I can get through this without crying. <laughs> Three years ago, um, I joined teacher education full-time. I was part-time instructor since 2014, teaching, you know, backwards design, understanding by design. And then three years ago, when I joined full-time, I was assigned to teach this course, assessment. And, you know, like with any kind of course that's new, you do a massive deep dive into the literature. And that first semester teaching it, I was really humbled and somewhat humiliated that there was just so much I didn't know myself. I was telling this group, there were many, many nights where I would read the text and the resources and wanted to like chuck it out the window because it was revealing to me, there's just so many gaps in my own assessment literacy. And so I really felt like that first semester was such a transformative semester with my like with the student teachers that I teach we were going through this transformation together it was so powerful and then since then it's just been reading lots um, surrounding myself with critical colleagues like Josh Shannon and Phil and really just trying to implement the practices that we're trying to promote for new teachers in my own practice so like trying to model it and have student teachers experience it and when they share their narratives about their own journeys with assessment, and even if I think about my own, it's sometimes very difficult to read because it's affected how they see themselves as human beings, their self-worth, um, their dignity, 
a lot of like negative narratives and then realizing like, wow, this class is a lot of it. It has to do with unlearning and learning. And am I willing to be open to a, a new narrative, like another narrative that is backed up by research and evidence? So that's my story. And where I am today is it's such a joy and I feel like such a privilege that I get to introduce principles of assessment to new teachers, have them wrestle with like their, their story and then look at possibilities and imagine what it could be. It's, I, it's such a privileged position to be in and super feeling super blessed. And then I think the last thing I want to end off is that the literature that I'm using is for K to 12 teachers, but I'm implementing it in higher education proving that it also works in post-secondary. Like this is not just for K to 12, it is for K to, it's for all learners. Um, I had to get special permission to be the rebel and like change my grading structure, take away the weights of assignments and set up a grade book that is more standards-based, have a heavier focus on formative assessment, sound design, all the principles. It works, it works in post-secondary getting recognized for it. So that's a bit of my story. And, and just like everybody else, it's, it's, it's the inclusion piece, the equity piece, uh, human dignity piece, hope and joy, all of that. So that's part of my story. <laughs> it's just everything. It's just it's everything. everything. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It does work at postgraduate or the graduate level, I should say. Shout out to VIU Vancouver Island University and Paige Fisher, who really opened my master's in educational leadership program with this same question about, you know, assessment journeys. And I have to say in the, the two wonderful years that I studied there, I did not receive marks, no marks throughout the program, a lot of feedback, a lot of growth, transformation, I would say, but no marks, no grades. So it, it definitely is doable and it can be a fantastic experience. Shannon, we'll end this round with you. Tell us about your assessment journey, your story. So there's two things that were very significant for me as a teacher. So I don't remember a time when I wasn't some kind of an assessment rebel. I've been doing it for so long, the lines blurred. I cannot remember when I actually started everything from, you know, removing zeros. I, I you know, I was the type of person that whatever I read and I trusted from trusted like edu gurus or I went to workshops, when I took it very much to heart. But there's two pivotal moments in my career, and that was when I started my career, I got placed into teaching in special ed. And when you teach students with needs, you see them in a different light because you see them on their own learning journeys and that they're goal setting and that they're not ranked and sorted like we would do in our academic classes. It's like, you're here. What are your next steps? Not hugely powerful and influential to me, especially when I started making learning maps with Katie and Shelly Moore and that kind of thing. But the, the second one is to being a drama educator and being already an inclusive educator. One of the things I noticed in my classroom was that, you know, kids in these elective classes don't care so much about their grades. They care about their learning. And so I went through several years where I was literally trying to unpack what am I doing that's right, in my, these, this elective class that I can bring into the academic classes. 
Uh, how can I foster that love of learning and that drive and that, you know, they're, they're veering away. They don't care about grades. They're not asking me, what's my mark? What did I get on this? They just, they're taking feedback, they're eating it up and they're moving forward. And I remember hearing from, from colleagues that, well, it's an elective class. I'm like, I think this is going to be something that can be brought into academic classes. So I delved deep into, you know, how can I bring feedback for learning into the classroom, into my academic classroom, because I teach both. And it works. You know, when you give feedback to kids and you tell them that it's not a competition, I am not going to rank and sort you. I am going to, you know, that that has been my passion. You know, everything from, again, feedback for learning, getting rid of letter grades, introducing, uh, you know, standards based grading with my students. And now I have been delving really deep into brain science and I'm finding that, you know, hearing from these voices like Carol Dweck and Joe Hirsch and that this is really important for, you know, 21st century, um, you know, creative and innovative minds that, you know, this whole, the, the grade list movement and these assessment shifts are going to be huge for the future. So I just feel so, my ideas were very backed up by, by science, by brain science, by this literature, by this research, and it works. So again, those were my two really impactful moments. Um, you know, honoring the learner. And, and, and that's what I use a lot. I say, I tell my colleagues, I said, you know, assessment needs to be this intimate experience and very much like what Josh and Nina and Katie and Phil talk about in terms of the grade book, no child can be labeled by a percentage and or, or a letter grade and that, you know, the best thing that we can do for their self-esteem is to honor them and see where they're at and what they need to go, where they need to go to next. And it's powerful, super powerful. Amazing stuff. Sherry says yes to brain science. Uh, Christine says read Shannon's blog. Get more of this good stuff over there. And Christine is also encouraging Nina ask permission to be a rebel. <laughs> it seems a bit counterintuitive. I think she's I uh, enjoying or, a joke. Or just, be, or just be a rebel and ask for permission, ask for forgiveness later. I mean, there we go. There's context to that because of all the policies, like at universities, there's so many policies that are made transparent. So, right. Um, yeah. right. <laughs> Well, hey, teachers are good about acting first and getting that forgiveness later. It's better to get forgiveness than permission. I always say sometimes, so I have to be careful now that I'm uh, making my way into administration, but sometimes it's actually a gift to an administrator to give them that plausible deniability. Um, Christine says, tried to do no grades in one of my teacher ed classes, and now our program is gradeless. Amazing. Lots of pushback from candidates, lots of uncertainty. This will be a journey. Absolutely. And I've lived that too with classmates who are saying, well, hey, hold on. How, how do I get an A here? What, what are you telling me? This is so disorienting. But Lisa says, we just had to go through a round of international benchmark testing. And she's in Dubai again, or the, the UAE. And I tried to get the kids through it by explaining it was not a judgment on them, but to find out how we can improve teaching. So sort of presenting it as assessment of the teachers. That's kind of neat to uh, let students know that, hey, we're not perfect. We want to grow here in this journey as well. 
I like that spin. All right, so we're going to work our way back around to some of the services that you uh, five are planning to offer and some of the events coming up. But next up on the docket, we have this question. Who are the voices who have influenced and inspired your assessment journey? We kind of laughed before the program. There are so many that we could mention, but hopefully if we each mention one or two here, a lot of the big names will come out and we'll say in advance, apologies if we're not mentioning all of the voices, but who are some of the voices who have influenced and continue to influence your journey with assessment? Let's loop it back around, starting with you, Shannon. All right, I'm gonna be really quick. So um, voices have impacted me, definitely Dylan William and Rick Wormley and um, their books, um, Embedded Formative Assessment, uh, Fair Isn't Always Equal. You know, Rick does a really good job of, um, you know, calling out educators that you know not to play gotcha with kids. And I love Dylan Williams' uh, information about what actual formative assessment is. So working really hard with descriptive feedback. But um, two other incredible voices, Dr. Jody Carrington. She's got a wonderful passion for teachers and what we do. And that connection is a huge piece, especially when we're talking about assessment, because assessment can change the entire the environment of our classroom and be that uh, important connecting piece. And then, of course, I got a my sister, Shelly Moore, has impacted me so much building proficiency sequences, which is what I you know consider learning maps 2.0. Um, She's making waves and I, I, I just have so much respect for her. And I thank her very much for inspiring me to keep doing the work I do. Four great names to start us off. Nina's checking her list. Nina, who you've got next? I can't <laughs> stick to two. There's no way. I did I'll just list it all off. <laughs> um, <for sure. laughs> Grant Wiggins, Jay McTeague, I, Dylan Williams, Ken O'Connor, Katie White, big influence. Okay, um, Tom Shimmer, Tom, Dr. Thomas Gasky. Uh, just want to make sure I don't. Susan Brookhart, see, and Shapui and Stiggins, foundational Shapui and Stiggins, mm -hmm. um, and obviously Dr. Benjamin Bloom. We forget about him, Dr. Benjamin Bloom, and then the two others that I do want to mention. It's, it's. A, <laughs> I have to mention this. It's Dr. Paige Fisher and Dr. Leighton Schnellert. It's the way that they envision change that comes through collaboration and community. They are huge influencers in the way that I foresee how change can be accomplished. So there you go. Those are the names. <laughs> yeah, Mark says, this is like the Oscars play the music. Exactly, yeah. Mark. I need I need some kind of grand music. We need a red carpet here. But uh, I think Nina stole a lot of the the... the <laughs> <laughs> the stars of assessment, let's say. Actually, I can think of a few names. So we'll see if Phil hits more of them. And by the way, when this blog post does come out, I'll try my best to itemize all of these names and, and make sure you can connect over there at teachersonfire.net. But Phil, go ahead. Who else is shaping and influencing your journey today? Yeah, thanks. Well, for sure, um, these four, um, for sure. And uh, Tom Shimmer, um, I mean, he's he's local. He's from BC. He gets uh, he gets uh, the curriculum and and the direction that this group are going in. I, I think for sure. Uh, Ken O'Connor as well. He's just so active on on Twitter and probably one of the first people I connected with uh, in my assessment journey on Twitter. 
more, more recently and also local, um, the BCAMT have been hosting some assessment talks uh, run through um, or run with the leadership of uh, Peter Lilladal out of SFU, uh, mm. who's uh, I've certainly had lots of assessment conversations with him over the years. Um, and as I said, I'm also interested in the brain science. And um, I think assessment, as, uh, as we've chatted about a little bit today, I think assessment does sit in brain science as well. And so um, some foundational people there like uh, Barbara Oakley, um, she's got a great Coursera course on uh, learning how to learn. Um, and I think the original three uh, who wrote Make It Stick, uh, so that's uh, Henry Rodiger, Mark McDaniel, and Peter Brown. And I, I was actually lucky enough to uh, work with Mark McDaniel a couple of years ago before COVID uh, when I met him in Boston. And, and um, I think there's a lot of information in that book as well that uh, is very applicable to teaching and learning and assessment. Someone just mentioned the math connection, and that was uh, Christine Ho Young, husband. Sorry, Christine. And uh, you mentioned Peter Liliadal at SFU. I heard an amazing podcast episode on making math moments that matter. He was a guest, and I believe he's written a book called The Thinking Classroom or something connected to that. Just uh, it sounds like an amazing read. So it's definitely on my to read list. Josh, over to you. Who have we got left? Nobody. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I know one of the ways I'm connected to the folks here is through social media and through conversations with many of the individuals that are listed here um, at risk of, of repeating what's already been said. Tom Shimmer, Katie White, Ken O'Connor, um, Dylan Willem, all of them had huge influences on me and still do to this day. Um, but I'd be remiss, and I know everybody's on the same page, if I didn't say first and foremost that people who have the biggest influence on my assessment pedagogy are definitely the students. I, like I can take all the theory stuff, implement it, and if it's not working for them, then I have to readjust. And I think that's something that the authors, the presenters, the people who are out there really trying to move our, our practices forward can give us a lot of principles and practices to try. And for me, as with the students, it's the people who have really helped me accept permission to try and fail. Uh, Judy Halbert, Linda Kayser. Paige Fisher at VIU, like you, Tim, I did my master's at VIU. And I remember going through that process or the, the program and just like, here are these amazing individuals at the post-secondary master's level saying, try, give yourself permission to fail. I'm like, if we can do that here, what can we, what can our K to 12 experience look like? Right. So for them, they, they those were definitely impactful. Um, one of the first books I ever picked up that changed my actual practice was Carol Ann Tomlinson's Differentiating Instruction or the Classroom. And with her KUD charts, way before the BC curriculum came out, I was just like, it was like a foundational piece to really, you, you can't do those and not get into assessment. So I, I definitely want to mention, mention her as well. So definitely what everybody's mentioned there and adding on a few more if I could. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's one name that I'm curious to see if it'll come up. Katie, you've got a tough job. I mean, I think uh, I think these four have taken about 30 or 40 names off the table. But is there anyone left that has influenced your journey? Not really. I've got some doubling up here. Um, definitely Shelley Moore and Leighton Schneller really shifted my whole thinking of how we design our lessons and our units to teach to the range. Um, how do we teach to who's in the room, not sending kids out to different places to learn? 
and this group actually. So uh, assessment isn't my expertise, inclusive practice is my expertise, but I take the expertise of this group and merge it with what I already know of how we teach to the range. And the last kind of layer that's been slowly adding to my learning are voices like Joe Corona, um, Dr. Dustin Louie out of University of Calgary, uh, really challenging my thinking around what is equitable practice, right? And and bringing the um, first people's principles of learning and the indigenous kind of lens of or our systems and whether or not they're actually equitable for all of our learners. Awesome. Yeah, a couple of names. I'm not sure if they came up, but Star Saxstein, Hacking Assessment. Did anyone mention her? Yeah, uh, just a really helpful, engaging book. And, and you know, you are, you five are such serious students as well. You're into so much graduate level stuff. For that teacher who is maybe just poking around and, and maybe isn't looking for uh, five citations every paragraph, a hacking assessment might be a better place to start, maybe. Uh, and I know FAIR is an e uh, Fair isn't always equal. Is that the title of Rick Wormley's book and, and others? Uh, there are a few great on-ramps. Um, and also one more name, uh, Brooke Moore here from Delta. I don't know if anyone mentioned her, but uh, another amazing leader in this space. And she was very influential at, at VIU as well. She has a great story, by the way, of teaching a movement in parkour to middle school students and then having them give each other feedback and then sort of at the end of it all, having that debrief to say, okay, now which would have been more helpful, the feedback that you received or percentages or letter grades, right? And to students, it's a no brainer. And so that sort of orients them for the, the framework of feedback. What is next for the ACBC, the Assessment Consortium of BC? It's, that word consortium is just amazing, by the way. What are, what are some of your long-term goals? I'll just throw this one open to anyone. Where do you see ACBC going in the future? I, I'm, I'm happy to jump in a little bit here. Um, the site itself, and you, you showed it off really quickly there, um, so acbced.ca, uh, it, it's to be honest, pretty empty right now. Um, so we're looking to see what do the BC educators need, really with that focus of K2 post-secondary. I know Nina spoke to the post-secondary you know, need for uh, assessment literacy, and uh, certainly um, most of the panel here are secondary uh, trained. Um, so you know, expanding that out um, away from just secondary into what does this look like for elementary students and, and elementary teachers, and what does this look like at the post-secondary level, uh, and and how do we um, fill in that website, fill in the conferences, fill in uh, the community with the resources that they want? All right. Anyone else? Membership, I think. Like <laughs> membership, like we want to gather people right mm -hmm. and right. have them you know be a be a part of this and feel like they can connect to it so just get the numbers that'd be great <laughs> and one thing that i wanted to add is my hope for the consortium too is that now there is a space shannon has already created a space through brc but there's also this like province-wide space for educators to know that they're not alone uh, and that for me at least i hope that it would be a place where they could find others that they could work together with or join and feel supported by a community. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. 
We are a community, and that's a great segue into our last question, our last round of questions, and that is how can we connect with your learning? So first of all, if you are a BC educator, maybe you're picking up this broadcast here on the YouTube replay or listening to the podcast, want to make sure that you are aware of Twitter and a Twitter chat that happens every Sunday night at 7 p.m. That's at hashtag BC Ed chat. I don't always make it there, but I usually see some of that conversation showing up in my feed. Always helpful, always inspiring. And of course, we've got other uh, sort of avenues and points of connection that we will talk about here as we go around. So Shannon, how else can we connect with you? And, and as you said at the top, you are doing so much to connect BC educators. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm busy. It's fun. Obviously, I'm on Twitter a lot, so you can connect with me there at Drama Queen BRC. Um, I blog and I share a lot of resources. Again, I've been working a lot with building proficiency sequences and trying to build up those resources. Uh, mygrowthmindset.home.blog. Oh, my man. There's a hey, there's Beyond Report Cards. That's my baby. Started it in 2019 and so i share a lot of information and resources um it's a go-to i hear from educators to find out what's that relevant podcast to listen to while i'm going for my walk or i'm you know on the stairmaster and that kind of thing so uh those are the places that you can connect with me i'm trying to do some live stuff also on beyond report cards um sharing with at my staff meetings and then sharing uh and then of course blogging about it so Connect with me. Join Beyond Report Cards if you're not already on there. It's for BC educators. Um, K to post-secondary. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shannon. And thank you, Phil, for chiming in from LinkedIn. Nina, how can we connect with you? You can connect with me on Twitter. I join um, hashtag at assessment pretty regularly. It's like a bi-monthly conversation that's led by some assessment leaders like Katie White and Tom Shimmer. And then... This year, I did have like a chapter in a book that's being published, and I co-authored it with my dear colleague, uh, Jen Skelding, and it's on imaginative education and assessment in higher education. And I've been challenged. Katie White personally challenged me to write more and to share what I'm doing in my practice. So this summer, I am committing to writing more about my practice in higher ed and in teacher education. Katie White really challenged me, like, start writing more about what you're doing and get it out there, not formally, formally and yeah. in like in a, in a blog format. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to write more this summer. I'm committing to that. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll hold you to it. And Nina, I've been so interested in the work that you and Jen are starting to offer schools about just asking that question of how do our values, the values, the core values that we say we live by, our mission statement, how does that shape? our practices in assessment. I don't know if I'm getting that perfectly right, but that's that's what I was picking up from Twitter the other day. Phil, how can we connect with you and continue to learn with you? So uh, yeah, Twitter would be the easiest way. I, um, I take part in most of the uh, BC Ed chat on Sunday night, uh, Twitter chats, and also the uh, ad assessments that Nina was talking about. Uh, both are, are fantastic learning opportunities. So uh, happy to connect with you on Twitter. Uh, if you are interested in math, I have a YouTube channel, uh, Stringer CHS, um, where I basically have my flipped classroom videos for my students, plus some other uh, math-related content. Uh, I published uh, an article on standards-based grading in the 2017 Vector magazine, the BCAMT, which I work quite closely with uh, doing assessment um, 
conferences with and, and presenting for them or with them, um, as well as the ISABC, the um, the local community that my independent school is part part with uh, i'm presenting there a lot as well awesome awesome love the youtube stuff love that you're you're posting that mass stuff not just for the virtual environment that we're in now but i just love the way that uh, video can be recycled and repurposed and shared with uh, a quick link for that student who needs it and by the way a couple of times we've heard hashtag at assessment that's the word at the letters at don't try to put the at sign there. That's not going to work. Josh, over to you. How can we connect with you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, just a shout out to that uh, Twitter chat at, at assessment. Um, it's actually where I met a lot of the colleagues here on the panel uh, many years ago. And um, definitely like everyone else, Twitter is an easy way to get in touch with me. Um, I used to blog a lot. If you look back to about three and a half years ago, you'll notice not much has happened since. And that's when my kids came and I don't look at that as a deficit, that is fantastic. And I'm trying to find a way to evolve with that. Um, and like Nina, I know that this summer is something that I really want to make intentional about connecting with practices that are happening for me as a physical and health educator, but also my classroom practices as well. Um, in the areas of PHE, there's not a lot of stuff around assessment out there. Um, and, and the presentations I've done at provincial and national conferences, people are like, how do I learn out more? So I really want to be intentional of getting here's what I'm trying and here's the success or here's where I'm going to grow with that. Um, so just trying to blog a bit more about classroom practices and, and my practices in, uh, in the physical and health education setting as well. Katie, it is a beautiful morning where you are clearly. How can we connect with you? I have a going through, but I'm not going to complain about it because we really need this here. Um, yeah, Twitter is best for me, absolutely. Of course, I'm um, on the School District 57 website for Prince George Secondary School. Um, I do have some stuff on YouTube, but really it's around uh, wellness and yoga. And honestly, I think that all the heavy lifting that this team is doing and teachers are doing and administrators are doing, there is always space for breathing and calm and centering so that we can continue to be rebels like Nina and Shannon have said, and we can continue to do the hard work. So I do have some of that, but yeah, that's the best way to connect with me. It's holistic, right, Katie? We've got to be healthy and well in order to take on any of this stuff. And in order to move our professional journey forward, we've got to be in a place where we can accommodate that change. And I think uh, one, one thing we're dealing with right now in the year of COVID, we can all say from our different contexts, is teachers are tired. Teachers are tired, teachers are stretched. And professional development and growth is a tough sell. Unfortunately, it, it is a tough sell for many educators right now. But it's not a tough sell for these five. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. And for all of our viewers, we so appreciate having you with us. My name is Tim Cavey, and I'm proud to contribute to the education conversation through the Teachers on Fire podcast. If you enjoyed this roundtable episode, make sure to subscribe to the Teachers on Fire channel on YouTube, where you can interact with me and my guests every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central, and 11 a.m. Eastern. And if you haven't yet, make sure to connect with me at Teachers on Fire in your favorite social media spaces to catch more from me and hear from amazing educators who are bringing growth and transformation to K-12 education today. When you listen to this content and share your support on social media, you pour fuel on my fire and that inspires me to continue this important work of amplifying voices and sharing ideas. 
Thanks again for listening to this roundtable episode in these challenging times. Take care, share an encouraging message to lift up a colleague, and keep that fire for learning burning bright.